So I come from a church tradition, Presbyterianism. Anybody else? Yes, a few. Um, we always read scripture before the scripture passage is going to be preached through before the pastor preaches. So in honor of my heritage tonight, I've asked Nathan McGarvey if he would come up and read our passage and then pray for me. So they're going to clap for you too. This is Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Uh, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be here tonight. Uh, And I pray that you would speak through Kimberly. uh, and let everybody hear what they need to hear through her. In Jesus' name, amen. So Thanksgiving is coming up. Yay. I love this holiday because you eat amazing comfort food like turkey and mashed potatoes. And I confess this morning in morning church that I really like the cranberry jelly that comes out of the can. I'm so glad you think so, because I got ridiculed for that this morning. <laughs> like, they were like, ew. So, anyways, my brother and I fight over it. Um, <laughs> anyways, I love it because we get to hang out all day and cook food and play games and eat food and eat food <laughs> and eat and eat and eat. Um, so, another thing I love about Thanksgiving is... I have I have too many things up here. Hang on a second. I need a bigger stand or something. Um, what? Yeah. Thank you. Now it's all okay. So, <laughs> the other thing I love about Thanksgiving is... Um, that you get to pick the people you hang out with. Now, I know some of you immediately are thinking, no, I don't. I have to eat with such and such. Fill in the blank. No choice. But actually, you do have a choice. You could opt out of it. I mean, if you really didn't want to see those people, you could opt out of it. There's always a choice. But you'd have to deal with the consequences of not seeing them on Thanksgiving. It's interesting for me to reflect back on the Thanksgiving meals that I've planned. I'm always considering the dynamics of the people who come, planning out where people are going to sit at the table. He shouldn't sit next to that girl because, oh, that would be awkward. Um, Oh, they got in a fight last year. Maybe we shouldn't do that. 
Um, also, there are people who get along really well, like there's really good chemistry, and you want to put them together because if they sit together, everybody's going to have a good time. So I love planning the dynamics of who's going to sit where. Now, if you have Thanksgiving with your family, I realize it's really different. You have to eat with these people. You probably always sit in the same order around the table. Um, mom, dad, that kind of thing. It's interesting to me because meals bring us together in a way that nothing else does. You usually don't have a meal with somebody intentionally that you don't want to spend time with, right? There's something significant that happens when you share a meal with someone. Relationship happens. You talk about life, friends, job, politics, health care, beliefs, what bugs you, things you like. When you share a meal, you share life together. And that's what relationship is about, about sharing life together. It's one of the reasons we do dinner here at Scum on Sunday, because we want to share life together. So we come around food. We come around and have a meal together. Well, Scripture is laden all over with analogies and stories of meals. They're for celebrating. They're for wedding feasts. There's even an image of what heaven will be like around a banquet table. Jesus is at a lot of them. It's significant to notice, I think, for us, who Jesus ate with, who he shared life with. And in paying attention, I think we might learn something about what it's like to be in relationship with Jesus, what it's like to share life with Jesus and how to follow him. So we're going to turn, as we think about that, back to Mark 2, 13 to 17. If you have a Bible, you'll probably want to be there because we're going to kind of be working through the passage. Um, or it'll be up there. And if you don't have a Bible and you want one because you're like a tangible, tactile person, there's some back at the scoop under the dripping skull where Sprout is. So, verse 13 invites us into the scene. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. Now, this is the Sea of Galilee for all of you who are geography nuts. Um, The Sea of Galilee is kind of northeast of Nazareth where Jesus was born. Um, And if we go back and look at like the last chapter and a half that we've been preaching through, we've talked about Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee, and now the lake. They're all kind of the same place because Capernaum's right on the Sea of Galilee. Remember this because it's important later. So while he was there, a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. Verse 14, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, or Alphaeus. Does anyone know? Okay, I get to make it up. So <laughs> Levi, son of Alphaeus, was sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. Now Levi is one of the apostles. He's one of the disciples. He's one of the twelve for those of you who have been around the church for a long time, you're like, wait a minute, he's his Levi. There's no Levi in the 12. Levi is actually Matthew. He's the Matthew, the one who wrote the gospel. And he's the Matthew, the disciple. 
he was Levi before he met Jesus, before he followed Jesus. So this is his pre-Jesus name, if you will. Now, it's not really that weird for someone to change their name in the Bible because it kind of happens a lot. So before Paul, the apostle, was Paul, he was Saul. Um, before Peter was Peter, he was Simon. Before Norma Jean was Norma Jean, or I mean, before Marilyn Monroe was Marilyn Monroe, she was Norma Jean. I kind of messed that up. Um, but point is, is that it's not that weird. Um, one of the su- people who supports people on staff here changed her name when she became a Christian. So, you know, it kind of can mark, mark a place in life to change your name. So that's what happened with Levi. He changed his name to Matthew. Anyways, he was a tax collector. And these were not the most respected of people, to say the least. See, tax collectors worked for Rome. And remember how I was saying that Capernaum was on the north side of the Sea of Galilee? And it was, it, well, it's a port city. And they had these tax collector booths to go in and out of the city. So at the beginning of, the, of roads, at the end of roads, at ports, that kind of thing. And everybody had to pass through these and pay a tax or a toll to enter in or to leave or whatever the city. We do that when we cross the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. We're okay with it because it helps keep the bridge up, keeps it painted. I don't know if you've ever driven across the San Francisco Bridge, but people are always on it painting it, and it's really creepy when you're driving on it and you see these, like, men hanging there. Um, But that's what your toll dollars go towards. It wasn't quite this way back in the day. Basically, it would have been like if Matthew Levi took a dollar fifty or he was supposed to take a dollar fifty and he took like five bucks and he pocketed the three fifty for himself. And everybody knew he did this. Everybody knew the tax collectors did this. And so nobody wanted to go through the toll booth, but they had to. So you can imagine how crappy Levi's job was. Because everyone who passed through was pissed, didn't want to see him. So he just took their money kind of, you know, balance it out. I'm kind of making assumptions about whether Levi actually did this or not, but it was the reputation that he had. Basically, whether he was an honest guy or not, this is the reputation that preceded him, and it was kind of insurmountable. I mean, he just, he couldn't get over it. It's just what everybody thought of those who did that. So when Jesus comes along and he says, follow me, Levi's offered something a lot better. For me, this brought up all kinds of thoughts. Why did he go? It's kind of weird. He didn't even know the guy. But then when I started looking at that map, I was talking about Jesus is in this really little area. And he's been doing things like healing paralytics and driving out evil spirits and healing a man with leprosy and teaching And so he's got a reputation. Levi's heard of him. He's probably seen some of the stuff he's done. And Jesus has probably passed through his toll booth a time or two. So when when Jesus says, follow me, it's kind of like saying, hey, come have coffee with me. We should talk. 
you know, Levi needed an invitation. And I kind of wonder if sometimes we need an invitation. An invitation. I'm wondering if he thought he wasn't good enough to follow Jesus. Because there's this huge crowd, you know, all these people who were following him around. And I kind of wonder if he needed an invitation. It reminds me of a time when, um, actually, when Mike asked me to be on staff. Um, I'd been coming here for, I don't know, I really don't remember how long, six months, a year, maybe, I don't remember. Um, so he asked me to be on staff, and I was like, no, 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 thanks, no. Um, so a couple weeks later, he asked me again, would really like you to come on staff, would you please consider it? Okay, I'll consider it. Um, I came back, no, I'm not going to come on staff. He asked me again. Third time, I said no. He asked me a fourth time. He asked me four times to be on staff. (laughs) And I said no all four times. And the Sunday after I said no the fourth time, I was sitting in a chair at Church in the City during worship, and it was like the Holy Spirit just came and had a little conversation with me. And God said, you love these people, don't you? And I was like, yes, this is my church. Now you have to understand that I had been church hopping for about six years. So I had church commitment issues. And I was like, yeah, this is my church. I can say that. This is a big deal. Um, and then I heard God say, well, if you love them, then serve them as I gifted you to serve. And I just started crying (laughs) because I realized I had said no to Mike four times and that was what I was actually supposed to do. So God and I talked for a little while longer all during worship. I was like weeping, you know, like a mess, like my, my mascara is like bleeding down my face and I'm just a blubbering mess. So after worship, I'm still crying and Mike sees me and he's like, what's wrong? (laughs) Like think somebody's died or something because I'm just a mess, you know? And we go and sit against the, um, the windows in the entry area of church in the city. And I said, I, I think that I'm supposed to be on staff. <laughs> and uh, he, I think he laughed at me, actually. And um, so anyways, we talked, and I ended up coming on staff. But he told me I couldn't back out. So here I am. But I needed an invitation. And in fact, I needed four invitations. And then I hit on the head from God. So I kind of identify with Levi that he needed an invitation to follow Jesus. And I wonder if you too need an invitation to follow Jesus. Because I didn't think I was worth it. I didn't think I was valuable. I didn't think I had, I didn't think I had anything to offer. Why, why would anyone want me? Um, it's really what I thought. And I think I'm probably not alone in thinking that about myself sometimes. Um, so I really identify with Levi, and I also think he was really courageous to f- follow when Jesus called. And not only was he courageous, but he, he just kind of opened his arms up and accepted Jesus in. Because in verse 15, as we move on a little bit, it says that Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. And many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. 
But it's interesting to me that not only did he follow Jesus, he said, come to my house, have dinner, and I'm going to invite all my friends. Well, who was a tax collector's friends? Sinners and other tax collectors. So here Jesus is, and he's like, cool, let's go, let's eat. But remember there was a large crowd that was following Jesus? Well, in this crowd, there were Pharisees and his disciples and other people. Well, they followed him to Levi's house because they'd been following him around, Jesus around. So all these people were there too. So I'm imagining that this dinner at Levi's house was not small. In fact, it probably was more like what having dinner here is like than what Thanksgiving dinner at your house is going to look like. So when the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why is he eating with those people? They, they really didn't get it. And I think for us to truly understand why they, in the first place, even asked this question, we have to understand a little bit about the Pharisees. So the Pharisees, I think, in Christian circles probably have a bad rap. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to advocate for them a little bit here. They were teachers of the law. They were Jewish. And they cared so much about living a holy life. They cared so much about God's word and upholding it as he has laid it out. The root of the word Pharisee actually means to separate out. So this gives the image for me of, okay, we want to live a life separate than those, the lives of other people in this world. So I think of it kind of like an orange juice strainer. So have you ever seen those little, those little cones that you put over the cup and you squeeze the orange on top of it and there's all these holes and the juice goes down and the pulp remains? And I kind of think of that when I think of a Pharisee that they truly wanted their life to be strained out so that the sweet juice was left and the pulp was out. Well, this isn't all that bad. I mean, we all probably have people in our lives that aren't necessarily the best influence on us, so they really wanted to be apart from them which is kind of what they were saying to Jesus. Why are you eating with these people? They might contaminate you. They might give you a bad rap with God. But I don't think they knew that Jesus was God. So, further in their defense, it's written in Leviticus 11, Leviticus 19, Be holy because I am holy. And then we're even told in 1 Peter 1.15, But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So see, um, sorry, I just got distracted because my footnote actually has the Leviticus 11 and 19. Um, So... It's, it's in scripture that we are to be holy as God is holy, and that's what they were trying to do, and they were doing it the best way they knew how. So that's kind of the background of why they asked the question. Makes a little bit more sense when we understand where they're coming from. But 
Jesus responds kind of interestingly. He turns their whole paradigm on its head. And he says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. I've come to call, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. I think Jesus blew him out of the water. Because he's essentially saying, you have it all wrong. The way that you think you need to get close to God isn't it at all. You've misinterpreted it. The way you get to holiness is not by avoiding and protecting or isolating yourself. You know, here at SCUM, we, we advocate holiness. We encourage you to come to service so that you can worship with other people who believe in Jesus and that you can take communion and that you can get prayer. And we encourage you to be involved in a small group and to have a mentor. We encourage you to have good Christian community and maybe not to hang out with the people you used to because they might have a bad influence. So that kind of sounds like a Pharisee, doesn't it? So if those things aren't the way to get to God, and that's not how we get close to God, or that's not how we become holy, then how do we do it? Well, I'm not going to leave you in suspense very long, and I know you're really close. So here's how you get close to God. You have to know you need him and to follow him. That's it. It's what makes you belong, is knowing that you need him and deciding to follow him. Levi's our perfect example. He knew he needed Jesus, and he followed him when Jesus called. When Jesus came together with the sinners at Levi's house, he wasn't condoning their lifestyles. He wasn't saying, that's okay. Just keep doing what you're doing. Rather, he wanted a relationship with them so that their lives could be transformed to bring them into community and relationship with God. In a sense, to live as the Pharisees had lived, just with an entirely different motivation. So it would be kind of like Jesus inviting Levi to follow him and Levi only having dinner with Jesus and then not following him. That's kind of, kind of an example of a way that it, that it could play out. Levi doesn't do that. He follows him every day. So basically, key point, if you remember nothing else in my sermon, Jesus wants them to live differently out of response to closeness to God rather than because they wanted to be close to God. So Jesus wanted them to be holy because they were close to God first and then were holy, not be holy so you can be close to God. I, I kind of wish that I could hear whether you get it. <laughs> um, because holiness comes from God, not from us. And you see, the Pharisees were trying to be holy before they were close to God. And they were trying to be holy so that they could get close to God, and it doesn't work that way. So it like falls 
into emptiness rather than fullness of relationship. So the things that I was talking about before that we do here at SCUM for holiness, mentor, small groups, coming to church, hanging out with God's community, communion, prayer, all those things, so good, but needs to be done in response to our relationship with God, not trying to get close to him and make ourselves worthy of God. Because those actions don't make us worthy before God. We can't make ourselves worthy before God. Impossible. I think sometimes it's hard here at SCUM for us to consider that we might be a little bit pharisaical because we kind of know that we have sinfulness in our lives and that we need um, that we need Jesus. But I want to I want to caution us about the danger of two things in our thinking. The first danger is that we can earn our right at the table, that we can earn our right to come have dinner with Jesus. So it would be like Levi thinking he could entice Jesus to his table to have dinner with him by doing something really holy and really good. I heard this really great story um, about a carrot grower that lived in this land that had a king. And he was the best carrot grower ever. And he grew this massive carrot. And he decided, out of love and respect, I'm going to take this carrot to the king and give it to him. So he did. And the king received the carrot, and he said, discerning the, the farmer's heart, he said, thank you so much for giving me this gift of, of love, really, of your best, the best of your best. I, in response, want to give you this piece of land that I have that's right next to yours for free, and I want you to garden it because you obviously have a passion for gardening, so go. And the gardener left, and he was so overjoyed, totally stunned, couldn't believe he'd gotten this, like, basically doubled his plot of land. Well, while all that happened, there was a noble guy that was listening in, and he thought, if that's what a carrot gets you, hmm, I wonder if something bigger gets you. So this guy happened to be a stallion rancher kind of guy. I don't know what they called them back then, but, you know, he had stallions. So the next day, he brought in the best of his best stallion. That didn't make a lot of sense, but you get it. So he brought in the stallion to the king, and he's like, King, I, I want you to have my best stallion. This is the best I'll ever have. And I want to give it to you out of love and respect. And the king, discerning his heart, said, Thanks. You can go now. And the nobleman just was like leaving, super perplexed, going, That didn't work out like I thought it would. And the king was really discerning, kind of understood what was happening, and he said, Hang on a second. He said, I want you to understand what just happened here. The gardener farmer guy gave me his carrot out of love for me. You gave me this stallion out of love for yourself. So we need to be careful that we aren't 
bringing our stallions before Jesus so that he'll eat dinner with us but, and, and hang out with us for life. But rather we need to be more like the carrot grower who brings the best of our best to Jesus and says, I really love you and I really want to hang out with you for life. And I just want to give you the best of my best. So the second thing that I think we're in danger of is thinking we deserve a place at the table with Jesus. Because it's really easy to think, well, I know I'm a sinner, and Jesus loves sinners, so therefore, I can sit here. That doesn't give you a relationship. Um, That just gives you entitlement. It kind of misses the whole following me part that Jesus invited Levi to and invites us to. So you get the need part, but you have to get the follow part. Just as Levi, in order to follow, we must be willing to walk away from something. So Levi walked away from his tax booth, and I think we all have things that maybe we need to walk away from too. Maybe it might be your mindset that you're thinking you need to earn your way to Jesus. Or maybe it's something you do that you need to actually tangibly leave your booth. Is there something that you're involved in that you know probably isn't the most holy or the most pleasing to God? Something that might be keeping you from Jesus, something that you do after work or a relationship with someone. Or I don't know what it is for you. Heard a lot about Facebook addictions recently. It's kind of addictive. Look through everybody's pictures, you know. As I thought about what is most difficult for me, like I was trying to think of some amazing big story about how I went from being a Pharisee to more like Levi. And I couldn't think of one. But after mulling over it and agonizing over it, I finally realized where I saw myself. I was flipping back through my journal. I'm kind of an avid journaler. This is how I process, pray, everything. Um, So moleskin, by the way, the best. Molly and I have a debate about whether lines are good in journals. I prefer lines. She does not. She doesn't want to be bound by them. I'm not either. See, I wrote this way. <laughs> um, so what I did was I went through and I put little tabs and just flipping through and all the places where I basically said, well, I'll, I'll read you some. It won't be juicy. I'm not going to read you the juicy parts. Help me, Lord, to be patient and to wait on your timing. Lord, I lift this up to you as a concern. Help me, Lord. Lord, I pray for your help. Um, The Lord is the only one who truly understands my need. Lord, please help me. Anyways, they're all like that. 
Um, so this is from like August 23rd to yesterday. Um, and I realized that following Jesus for me is like every day, one foot in front of the other. And that I move from being either somebody who thinks I've deserved a place with Jesus to more like Levi, or I move from being kind of like a Pharisee thinking I can earn my place with Jesus um, every day. It's like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and it comes out in my prayer life right here. It's not to say that moving from one place to the other can't happen once in some big, profound way. It does for people. I mean, when I was 12, I accepted Christ, and that was one big day. But now at 32, 20 years of following Christ, um, I've realized that I'm nothing without him. And that it is an everyday one foot in front of the other thing. So please don't be deceived that once you decide to become a disciple of Jesus and a follower of him, that bam, your life will be easy because it doesn't work that way. But I can tell you right now that Jesus is more real to me today than he was when I was 12. And if I'm not walking with him and following him, I'm just an onlooker, an observer, and not an active participant. Daily, I experience his work in my life, and daily, I must respond to his calling. Follow me. So my encouragement to you tonight is to maybe think about what following Jesus every day looks like. It's not going to be glamorous. Um, it probably will for some of you and won't for most of you. Um, so sharing life with Jesus means eating with him. We do this together. Students, professors, moms, dads, siblings, sinners, smokers, wealthy, poor, all kinds of us in this room. We're here together. And Jesus has called us to share life with him together. You're going to probably experience a meal with some people this next week that you share life with. So I'm wondering what it looks like for you and for me to come around the table and not to ask, why am I eating with these people? But rather to ask, where is Jesus at this table? What would he be talking about? What would he be thinking? What would he be doing? How would he be embracing these people and not really holding it against them, what their perspectives are and maybe how they live their life, but how would I be loving them, wanting relationship with them, sharing life with them? That might mean leaving your tax booth. That might mean changing your mindset. That might mean 
stopping something that's keeping you from being able to follow Jesus well. And lastly, communion is something that Jesus gave us to follow him well, too. And we're going to do that tonight together. Um, so we're going to share two meals together, not just the one before, but this one. And this one is specifically intentionally seeking Jesus together. It's an invitation in and of itself, communion, to follow, to follow Jesus. Jesus wants each of us to follow him daily. Um, I just thought of a scripture, and I wish I knew where it was, so if somebody knows where it is, holler it out, um, that it's in one of the Peters, I think, that Jesus desires no one to live life without him that he desires all to come to him. I think that's the one it is. So he gave us this meal of communion as an invitation to follow him. And so tonight, whether it's your first time responding to an invitation of Jesus to follow him, or it's the 100 millionth time that you respond to him, tell Jesus that you need him and that you want to follow him, and he will meet you. Second Peter 3, 9. Thank you. I knew that about nine months ago when I did my doctrinal stuff, but not now. Brad, please don't tell. <laughs> um, so I want to invite you to receive Jesus tonight, because on the night that he was betrayed, he sat with his disciples and we are his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. And he wants us to do both of these things, to, to take the bread and to drink the cup together in remembrance of him that he is the atonement for our sin and that there is no way for us to make ourselves clean and holy before God because he is holy. So as you take the bread and the cup, remember that he is the one who is holy, that makes you holy. Amen.